Return to Calvary. It begins right now, this little April series. Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 2.2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Ah, because the maker of all things loves and wants me. When we go to Golgotha first, the problem is we're 12 hours too late. Because, in fact, Golgotha without Gethsemane is an answer without a question. We need Gethsemane. Brood over these moments in that dark, dark garden. Brood with me right now. A handful of young men move silently beneath the silver white moon. They descend into this carved notch out the eastern gate. A carved notch they call the Kidron. The Kidron tonight flows blood red. It is blood. A million slaughtered Passover lambs this weekend. Crimson waters. They step over them. They ascend. We can see them in the dark. They ascend to a a garden up the Mount of Olives. From where we stand, we can't hear their muffled words to each other. But suddenly that group of twelve breaks into eight who gather around the gate to the garden and four more stumble on, one of them stumbling especially into the dark, dark heart of this garden called oil press, olive press, Gethsemane in the Aramaic. It's like the moon is blinking on and off as we watch the four because high over their heads the gnarly boughs and branches turn the light off and back on again. But that face, there's one face. We're sure we know that face, though we hardly recognize it now. Something terrible, something bad is happening. And when the face speaks, we know. In the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 14, verse 32, the Gethsemane narrative begins with these words, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Frederick Dale Bruner renders those two words depressed and confused. In fact, Bruner says this text is the Magna Carta of depression. Depression, too common a visitor at our own tables and lives. In fact, one French commentator, put it on the screen for you, Pierre Benoit. Pierre Benoit translates the verb, sudden fear came over him, 
and says that the word in Greek is used of a man who is rendered helpless, disoriented, who's agitated and anguished by the threat of some approaching event. Keep reading. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here. Stay here and keep watch. Stay here. Pray for me. Peter, James, John, pray for me. It's growing darker and darker. I don't know what's happening. I'm going a little farther. Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The language of a story 2,000 years old quickly loses its emotion and depth until a gifted storyteller comes along and retells a story for us. The great American storyteller Walter Wangerin, who sadly died just a year ago, Walter Wangerin Jr., in his book given to me just a few weeks ago by a friend, titled the book Reliving the Passion, he captures this moment. I want you to feel the moment now as I read Wangren to all of us. The woods are pale and silent. That one man totally alone is swaying back and forth as if dizzy, his face in his hands. Suddenly he crumples to the ground. Abba, Abba. The sound is strangled in his throat. His fingers dig dirt like the roots of the tree. His chin and beard grind against the earth. Abba, Father, I don't want to do this. Please, you can do anything. Then take the cup from me. The man's voice is hoarse, a kind of guttural barking. And then he sucks air and howls at the top of his lungs. Hell is in that cup. Death and damnation are in that cup. My father, my father, it will tear me away from you. No, I don't want to do this. No, sin is in that cup. And if I drink it, you won't look at me. You will loathe me and I will hate myself. I don't want to drink it. Abba, Abba, take the cup away from me. The man twists his body under the trees, then holds himself in a tense, unnatural posture, his face upward, his eyes shut, his breathing sharp through his teeth. He grimaces as if smiling, then whispers almost inaudibly, whispers as soft as the leaves, nevertheless, not what I want, what you want, do. Well, we read, we read that old, old story too tamely, too hurriedly. Something terrible has happened in Gethsemane. Frederick Dale Bruner, 
on the screen. Might we reverently say Jesus knew what it was to be emotionally crushed and mentally crazy, at least for a while? This would mean that Jesus knows what we, emphasis his, what we go through at our limits, and knows this not just divinely, but also humanly. Death, even at middle distance, can be managed. Imminent death overwhelms. How true. Something terrible is happening to Jesus. I mean, just, just hours ago in the upper room, Jesus was the epitome of peace and joy. My peace I leave with you. My joy I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In this world, you will suffer tribulation, but cheer up, I. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Where's the peace and joy in overcoming now? That was then. This is now. Something terrible is happening to Jesus. James, Peter, John. I feel like I'm dying. It's getting dark. I'm afraid. Pray for me. Stay with me, please. The words of one translator, I feel so bad I could die. In the Greek, it awkwardly reads, literally, grief encircled is my psyche unto death. And Bruner wonders aloud, but how could anyone have dared to invent a scene that was so disturbing to faith, the fear of Jesus in the face of death? My. But when he turns to his closest companions, guess what? You got it. Those three amigos. No comfort. No praying. Nothing. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? One hour every weekend, three hours every weekend with your favorite sports team and you can't spend one hour with me? One hour every day in the Wall Street Journal and you can't spend one hour with me? One hour, five hours with social media and you can't spend one hour with me? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, Jesus went away, and he prayed the same thing. What was that prayer? Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What's happening to the, to the man twisted and troubled on the on the earth and dirt of Gethsemane. What's going on? Meet McGuire in his powerful collection called His Cross and Mine. Draws conclusions, I, I'm telling you, I find very illuminating and satisfying. 
First, McGuire reminds us that Gethsemane, in fact, has also been told, not just in the Gospels, but it's been embedded by Paul himself in the heart of the book of Hebrews. You and I have been to this verse many times together. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. And during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. And what's that next word? Tears. With fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death And he was heard because of his reverent submission with fervent cries and tears. That inspired line has Gethsemane written all over it, doesn't it? Then McGuire, now brood here with him. Meet McGuire again. Jesus did not ask to be saved from dying, but he did pray most earnestly to be saved from death. Why did Jesus shrink from death instead of facing death like the heroic martyrs? The answer is that the martyrs were facing mere mortal death and were sustained in their sufferings by the consciousness of God's presence and acceptance. But Christ was taking the sinner's place. I'm talking about you and me. And as the typical representative sinner, he was bearing our load of guilt out into the darkness of separation from God as the sins of the world. And I'm talking about your darling sin, and I'm talking about my darling sin. As the sins of the world engulfed him like a vast ocean crashing in, he felt himself seeking into a darkness he had never before known. It seemed more than his body could sustain. An immediate death threatened him in Gethsemane. It's not the fear of mortal death that grips Jesus tonight. It's the fear of immortal death that has him terrified. The fear that only a sin bearer could possibly Comprehend. He will not even name this dark, this deadly dread that clutches his heart and throat. He just calls it the cup. The cup, Abba. The cup. Take the cup away. As our ages draws the veil partially aside for this mystery. Three times has he uttered that prayer. Three times has humanity shrunk from the last crowning sacrifice. But now the history of the human race comes up before the world's Redeemer. He sees that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, left to ourselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of man and woman. He sees the power of sin. The woes and lamentations of a doomed world rise up before him. He beholds its impending fate and his decision is made. He will save us at any cost to himself. He accepts his baptism of blood that through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. Having made the decision, he fell. What's that next word? He fell dying. Do you understand that? He fell dying to the ground. Wow. You know what? He would have died then and there had not Dr. Luke, the only one to insert this detail, informed us that from the throne room of heaven... Shh. 
Heaven's highest created being, Gabriel, appears. If he had died there, the plan of salvation would have been completed. But watch, and this is McGuire that helps me see this. Watch this. Though he might have laid down his life in the garden, blood had been shed, right? Bloody sweat. Though he might have laid down his life in the garden and the sacrifice had been acceptable to the Father, yet how difficult it would have been for men and women to understand and appropriate what he had done. There is a moral shock connected with the awful tragedy of the crucifixion, which the Spirit of God uses to stir the consciences, our consciences, arising our moral sensibilities and awakening us from our stupor and our blindness and our selfishness. As I rages, the angel came not to take the cup from Christ's hand. Mm-mm but to strengthen him to drink it with the assurance of the Father's love. Wow. What Father? Oh, Abba Father, of course. Only Mark, and I say this respectfully, God bless him. Only Mark records that original language that Jesus spoke of Aramaic records Jesus' actual word in the heart of that dark garden. Abba. Abba. Papa. Papa. It's straight, it's straight out of a child's book of prayers. Jesus had used it all through his life. In fact, and I found this stunning. I just found it this week from the great German scholar Gerhard Kittel. In his t- ten-volume magnum opus, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, which I'm blessed to have. Never saw this before. Watch this. The probability is that Jesus employed the word Abba not merely where it is ex- expressly attested, Mark 14:36, where we just read, but in all cases and particularly in address to God. When he's talking to God, he uses Abba. Where the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record him as saying, and then he puts in the brackets here the, Greek, the actual Greek words for the Father, Father, my Father. Could it be? Kittle is saying, yep, it is. Abba. The Abba. Abba. My Abba. And even perhaps our Abba who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Wow, keep reading. In doing so, Jesus applies to God a term which must have sounded familiar and disrespectful to his contemporaries because it was used in the everyday life of the family. In other words, he uses simple speech of the child to its father. Abba, Father, Papa, take this cup. Take this cup from me. I don't want to drink it. Please, Abba. I have three beautiful granddaughters. I love them to death. And you know what my name is to them? It's Papa. And when that little girl comes up and whispers in my ear, Papa, 
I just melt. I just melt. Scoop me up. When that little girl calls from across the living room where we're playing or across the playground, Papa, over here. I just love it. And that's why I cannot imagine what it was like for the father to sit there and hear this one who has spent eternity as his equal, dressed now in humanity and sobbing. Up, Pop, you've got to take this away, Pop. Papa, how could you sit there and not say something? Up. Heaven wept. Heaven wept. Hey, how do you suppose Papa, how do you suppose Abba Abraham felt? Hmm? That knife trembling in his hands atop Mount Moriah is about to slay his only begotten son. I was just telling my seminary class this week in the seminary. When that knife fell, it broke two hearts. You don't think Abba's living this moment with Abraham? Isn't that amazing? Incidentally, scholars see in Jesus' command at the beginning of the narrative, Stay here while we go in. Remember those words? Stay here. As an intentional echo of Abraham and Isaac getting ready to go up, Moriah and Abraham says to the servants, Stay here while the lad and I sacrifice. Sacrifice in the Old Testament, the greatest story. Sacrifice in the New Testament, the greatest story. Linked by the words, Stay here. But maybe that's our problem. We just don't stay there long enough. Stay here. Stay with me. Abba, Father. Now here's the point that I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you right now if you're listening. Do you understand? Do you realize God wants to be Abba. He wants to be Papa to you as well. Some of you are going through hell right now. I know. I've talked with you. There's a darkness that you cannot comprehend. And it doesn't leave. You're begging God, take this cup. Take this cup. I can't drink it, Papa. Just take it away, please. It may be the loss of a friendship, the loss of a love that you so desperately wanted. Take it away. Take it away. It may be an existential crisis in your, in your studies. I, I don't know. It could, could be your career or, or, or life in general. For some of you, it's depression, full-blown, dark, black depression. Take this cup. I beg of you. Take it away. It may be the approach of a death and dying, a death and dying you realize grows closer by the day, and you are begging 
I don't want, I don't want that death. And I don't want that dying. Take the cup. I need you to know that this Abba, to whom Jesus sobs, though hears nothing, is the same Abba who's loving on you right now. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. He's going to love you through this. He's going to get you through. The cup will be taken one day. If not here, then. But he is with you. As Abba Papa was with Jesus in the blackest, darkest hour of his existence. Even if you must drink the cup, remember this promise. When we have prayed, whatever the outcome, let us not lose faith in God. Let us accept the bitter cup, remembering that a father's hand holds it to our lips. A father's hand, papa's hand, holds it to our lips. No, don't push me away. I'm loving on you. We have to do this. You'll see. A father's hand holds it to our lips. I'm with you to the end. That's all Jesus had. That was it. The angel was just an infusion and salvation from death so that he could continue for another 12 hours. That's all. Papa's hand holds it to our lips. Ah, my friends, that's it. That's what we've come to celebrate today. There will be a cup that will touch your lips in a moment, and that cup will be the assurance that Abba, Father, loves even me. Abba, Father, loves even you. That's the promise. When we take the cup and it touches our lips, we will know Abba, Father, loves even me. Let's pray. Oh, Abba, Father. Papa. Papa. The cup, the cup, as we gather at the table, grant us the courage and the trust of Jesus to press on with him, with you, who loves me too. Amen. After Gethsemane. Golgotha, before Gethsemane, the supper. Yeah, the supper. The Lord's Supper. It was called the Last Supper. And as it turns out, it's the last, last, last supper that you and I will celebrate together right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful, mysterious, glorious moment of worship. It'll be what you make it. 
If you let your mind roll around and run around, it won't be much to you but eating some bread and drinking a cup. But if you ask Jesus to step into your mind right now, Abba, I'm going to take the cup. He will. He'll be there for you. There'll be a healing that takes place in your heart. You watch.